What the hell am I doing? Hey ladies, welcome back to the I Have No Idea What I'm Doing podcast. My name is Paula Rogo and I'm your host. Last week, we spoke about how to turn that business idea into an actual business by doing research and getting the right feedback. Now, let's turn to how to actually formalize your business. As a first-time entrepreneur, I can say that this is one of the most important episodes of the podcast. So, let's get real for a moment, ladies. Admittedly, we spend so much time thinking about starting our businesses, doing marketing, branding, the logo, and all that fun stuff. But we forget about some of the really important basics, like actually registering your company and, you know, paying taxes. Remember that thing? And the thing is that most of the businesses in East Africa are still informal, and running a formal business can be super, super, super expensive. I know that for a fact. So if you can get away with operating outside the rules, why should new entrepreneurs even try to follow them? When it comes to doing business in East Africa, what makes our businesses actually legitimate? To answer those questions, we're joined today by Tanya Mulamula. She is the founder and managing director of Studio Red Communications based in Tanzania. In only five years, Tanya has grown her full-service communications company into a competitive international firm with clients around the world. And this year, she was able to expand to Rwanda. The great thing about Tanya is that she's also a second-time business owner, so she can talk about why it's really important to legitimize your business from her own experiences. She's joining our conversation from Dar es Salaam via Skype. Welcome, Tanya. Hi, Paula. Thank you very much for having me. If you live in Nairobi... You may have heard our next guest, June Gashui, who is an accomplished singer and comedian. And somewhere in between all of that, she's also a really accomplished attorney and CEO of JGIP Consultants, a law firm that specializes in intellectual property. June is here with me in our studio in Nairobi. Welcome, June. Thanks, Paula. It's great to have both of you on. My first question is going to go to you, June. What does it actually mean to have a legitimate business? Well, I think the first thing is what we call doing business above board. So that means that you are a legally recognized entity, meaning the government of whichever country you're operating in um, recognizes you in your capacity to offer the either, either the product or the service that you have set up the company for. Now, we consider individuals as legal entities as well. But the implication has been that if you want to set up a company, you have to look for people to be shareholders and directors and partners. And it just seems scary to the average person who's just starting out. But the beautiful thing is, uh, like in the example of Kenya, we can have a business trade name, which allows you to be a sole proprietorship. And our Companies Act was recently amended to allow limited liability companies to have one director as well. So what that means in very simple English is that you can actually establish a separate legal person from yourself. So Jun Gashui trading as JGIP consultants. What does that do? It sort of separates your regular accounting. So I decide to go out for a couple of drinks with my friends. I'm using quote unquote money that came in from a client's deposit. All that complication is is sort of taken care of when you create this new entity. So legitimizing or, or being in a legitimate business setting means, in my opinion, first creating um, an entity that can be the vehicle through which you offer this service. 
doing the necessary, um, um, taking the necessary steps as provided in the country that you're in. Uh, I mean, it might be different for Tanya, who's in, in Tanzania and obviously now in Rwanda. Um, what does the company law say about what you need to put in place to be able to develop uh, a, a business that actually is legitimate? And once that's done, make sure you're properly registered. You've taken out the regular permits and business um, um, licenses that you need to take out. And um, yeah, put your documents in order. By that, I mean display your certificates, open a bank account that is not in your personal name, um, and then develop things like invoice templates and the, the, the regular things that you would need to do in a business if a client came in. So I would say that would be the, the, the first few things I would, I would recommend. So I could do all those things under the table, right? I can open a bank account. Actually, no, you couldn't. You could not open a bank account without the... They're they're extremely strict about that now. So you could not open a a company account without even a registration certificate, a company PIN certificate with the KRA in Kenya, your your tax uh, revenue authority. Um, They're very, very strict. Um, Yeah, so that wouldn't be possible to do. Tanya, you were mm -hmm, and agreeing with a lot of what... uh, June was saying. Can you tell us what it was like starting Studio Red Communications in Tanzania? Uh, What steps did you take uh, to register and legitimize your company? I mean, I think um, everything that June said is basically the process you have to go through to ensure that you have a legitimate business. Like people think it's extremely complicated because when you read about um, big companies abroad, you, you think, oh, I need a board of directors, I need a chairperson, I have to have a CEO, I need to have 20 different directors, I need to have an advisory committee. I mean, we, we tend to complicate things in, in the beginning and you get overwhelmed and then you start doing things under the table. I mean, I think the worst thing you can have is me being TanyaStudioRed at gmail.com. I mean, you know, that's not a legitimate business. You are either a consultant or you're a business. You have to just have five steps. If somebody would talk to someone like June before they decide to start doing business, she'll highlight exactly you need to have your business name first searched and find out if it's available. You need to wait 60 days so somebody will contest it. You need to have your memorandum of association, which is your legal document that says that I, Tanya Mula Mula, want to start a company. You need just one shareholder or director in the company. They could be present or they could be silent. Um, again, you need to have your tax identification number. Um, you don't have to pay taxes in the beginning, but you have to know what to comply with. And again, opening for bank account, you can't go in and say, I want to open up Studio Red and not have any documents detailing that you are Studio Red. A personal account is very different than a, from a business account. They're going to ask you for three, four different things to open up a business account. So, I mean, there's a process that you need to make. And it's not that difficult in Tanzania. It's pretty straightforward. But I guess, you know, people want to escape the fact that having... I mean, I don't want to be paid to Tanya Mula Mula, F, you know, this bank and then under Studio Red. You know, no one wants to pay me as a person when I'm operating as a company. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Did you know to do all these things? Like for me, I know the first time I talked to June on the phone and she mentioned all these things like I have not done a lot of these things. Did you know to actually these are the steps you have to take? If not, what did you do to actually get this information? 
the first time I started a business, it didn't work. So we kind of learned our lesson. But luckily for me, my father works with entrepreneurs and I have a very good friend of mine who has a legal firm in Tanzania. I also work at a local agency that was, well, it's no longer a startup, but it was starting up back then or maybe three, four years in. So you're a bit more exposed to the business side of things when you work at a smaller company where, you know, things are moving around. So, I mean, I knew because I had people around me who advised me, but not everyone has that. I agree with that. If I can just jump on that and then say that there are people who offer this kind of service, but it's back to what we so you sort of alluded to in the beginning, which is funds, you know, like, do you want to spend this money? But I always tell people the 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 cost of fixing a mistake is much higher than the cost of getting the advisory. And, and and I'm always one for you negotiate. Everybody at some point was starting somewhere. And you just say, look, I need this information. I don't want to make a mistake. Maybe say if it's a good relationship at the beginning, this could be your person who you partner with for the first year of your business so that they are there to make sure you're compliant with all the things that even Tanya has mentioned. And even if there is a bill to pay, you know, I, I took a lot of teas, teas and coffees and you know, little sandwich lunches at the beginning. Um, but then with the promise of like, look, like if, if once this thing is up and running, here's my undertaking that, you know, it, it really it's what you do in, in relationships, you know, um, you give you give people options. And I don't see why it should be any different in, in business. It's just that it's more documented. Yeah. But get that professional, get the professional in your door right from the start. OK, so what is what is what is this checklist? What What is what is it that what professional? are we getting and what do we need to get done? We've alluded to some of it in the beginning, yeah. but June, could you speak to what are the things I should be trying to tick off as early as possible yeah. when I've decided I'm starting this business? Okay, so well, first off, if you are registering uh, either a limited liability company, you would need a company lawyer um, and who would, who could also possibly double up as your company secretary if they are so registered, because each company in Kenya would need one uh, company secretary to make sure your annual returns and your filings are up to date statutorily. Uh, from a statutory point of view, there's also, in my opinion, um, an auditor slash tax consultant or expert um, and accountant. There's a few firms that offer, you know, all of those three. I wouldn't try and get one person who masquerades as the three just because, you know, I'm never quite sure. <laughs> At the very least, you could find uh, an auditor who also has some tax experience and then get an accountant who's a different person at, at the very least. Um, and why is that important? Just because you're, you're keeping your bookkeeping practices from day one determine a lot of how well or how badly your business is going to, to, to do. Um, secondly, why the auditor is important. Um, and here, if it's okay, I'll share an example. When I first started out, I had like no money. I had my initial investment in terms of my own capital putting in to the company to do what I thought were the basics, set up an office, get somebody to help with the admin side of things, um, print some letterheads because, you know, you must have a nice logo and letterheads and all that kind of stuff and do the searches that Tanya alluded to earlier, which is make sure the name is available. That was what I was going to dedicate this money to, not even a salary for me or I, it was not a priority and then what happened was I said look even at the end of this first financial year I want to do 
an audit of my books. And I sat down with an auditor and I said, look, you know, why why would I bother auditing if my I'm at zero or minus, whatever the number was at the time? And he said, it's just good practice. It's a habit. You start now and you, you will never ask yourself this question. Trying to do an audit in year four when now you think you've made it and trying to look for all the paperwork from before will be will be hell. So, um, and also just sort of, you can't file 2018 tax returns if you didn't file from the year you were registered. You get penalized for filing. Uh, even if it was a nil return, you must file it. Um, and now in Kenya, there's a penalty. If you haven't filed by the 30th of June, it's 20,000 bob. Whether you made five shillings, or it doesn't matter. They will fine you for not having gone through the process. If you file in time, there's no penalty. So what happened in my scenario was I did this for two or three years in a row, working with the auditor and doing these annual audits and filing them with the revenue authority as as required by law. And what happened was I pitched for some work with a huge multinational. I was like, look, this this little old me with like two people in my office. I'm like, I'm never going to get this thing. And what's on the list of requirements? Please supply your audited accounts for the last three years. The fact, just the mere fact that I had even been doing them, they weren't concerned whether you were making losses or you had a profitable business at the time, but you're, you're compliant with something that they consider to be an important thing in the partners that they bring on board for their projects. And I got, I got the brief. So for me, I always tell people as, as daunting as it was, and my first sit down with the auditor cost me 5,000 shillings. His hourly rate was 20. I was like, dude, there's no way I can afford that money right now. But let me just, because I respect your expertise and your time, let me put something on the table. And he's still my auditor till today. So there's that sort of relationship, you know, eight years on, he's seen us grow. And I'm like, just make sure I don't get into trouble. And and if the, if the company sinks, you have no income from me. So to do the right thing. Yes. So I definitely think that the audit and the tax, um, t- uh, Tanya said this earlier, you don't need to necessarily start paying tax from the get go. Um, in most of the, the countries, they give you as a startup uh, a sort of, um, period of time to sort of align. Um, so, for example, value-added tax is not something you're required to charge in Kenya until you hit a certain um, uh, turnover uh, amount, which I think is five million shillings. So, if you're not billing up to that amount, there's no there's no requirement for you to register or to pay. But if you are paying employees, you must pay the uh, pay as you earn, which is one of the income tax requirements. So there are certain things this tax consultant will tell you right from the get-go. Don't stress about this. You're not at that level yet. But this withholding tax and pay YE, these ones you can't run away from. They will guide you as to what you cannot do away with if you want to get your tax compliance uh, status you know, up to date. Um, and then the final thing I would say is uh, funding. Because I said, even if you start with what we're calling no money, there was a little bit of money in the kitty. But, you know, what are you using towards petty cash? How much money are you going to spend on paying staff? Like, who do you absolutely need um, right now? Are you going to start paying yourself a crazy salary because you were employed before and you've gotten accustomed to a, a nice way of living and you didn't make any savings? You know, we didn't ask you to set up the business. <laughs> That's what I tell my clients. You woke up one day, God either told you or the universe, somebody spoke to you and you decided this is what you wanted to do. So I think making some financial plan um, is is crucial. So for me, those would be my top three. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think maybe in the beginning when I started years ago, I, I made the mistake to have one person say, I'll do everything for you. You know, it was a hot commodity to say, oh, entrepreneurs, oh, you know, I can do your legal work. I can do your 
you know, going to the revenue authority and following up and registering you. And I can also do your, you know, accounting and your auditing all at the same time. And then no one can do everything at once because some things are failing. And then I'm, I'm not sure about in Kenya, but here, all lawyers, you need to have a stamp. I'm not sure what the actual term is for lawyers or advocates who have been is it notarized. So you're dealing with a lawyer who says he's a lawyer, but then, then, then the stamp on the paper is not his name. And you're thinking, but, but you're a lawyer, you understand. So also I think people need to also realize that dealing with any Tom, Dick and Harry lawyer isn't going to work because you also need lawyers that can notarize your documents and stamp them and legitimize them. You should not mix your lawyer, you should not mix with your accountant or auditor, and you should not mix with your tax consultant. But also people have these dreams of getting the best of the best in the beginning. You know, I cannot walk into, like I told you, KPMG or PwC or, you know, Clyde & Co, big law firms, and ask, hey, I need a lawyer. Hey, I need a accountant. Hey, I need an auditor then be given bills of $10,000 a month. And then I'm thinking, oh, well, but I want to be at this nice flashy company that has all these resources. That's everyone. Everyone goes to them. Why can't I also get those services? So I think also people might think it's expensive because you're not going to the person that is equal to your current budgetary situation. Having a low budget doesn't mean that you're going to get the worst service. But also something cheap is also very expensive. So you, yeah, so you need to figure out in the beginning, you know, who you can trust and who can give you value for your money. And I also don't want people, I mean, me has, um, I'm a service provider. So when clients want to drill me to reduce my prices where I'm not even motivated to work for you anymore, the same mentality should be given to when you're trying to look for a service provider. Understand that you go within your means, but if somebody is asking for X amount of money and if you've done your research and it's reasonable, don't try and drill them to the lowest point while you spend your money on getting a flashy logo or a nice little off because I, because I feel people focus a lot on the brand. You know, I need to have the best logo, the best website, you know, yeah, you know, I need to have a camera, I'm in digital PR, my camera, my car, or I have, you know, I branded my wheel cover. I got this great co-working office space. You know, you know, I mean, we have this great Instagram page and we're paying for all these sponsored posts and you're spending thousands. But then when someone is telling you that, Hey, you need to have A, B, C, D, and you're thinking I can go online myself. I can go to the revenue authority myself and follow up, then things end up becoming complicated. So don't try and drive down the people who can make or break your business in the future, in the long term. Don't try go too cheap at the same time. And so when 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 June was saying um, these mistakes are expensive in the long run. Would um, do, do you agree? Yes. No. I come. You know. I'll even use my current business as an example. Forget my 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 failed one. So when I started this, I also said, you know what? You need to be more proactive. You yourself need to be going to all these places. You need to meet the people who are sitting at the desk. And you need to be more involved. So you fill out the forms, you read up on everything, you get advice from the people who are actually there because we don't want anyone taking it for a ride. So I made a mistake to not go see my lawyer friends or my father early enough. So when I was filing, this is an actual example of this company, I was filing our returns at, um, you know, you're doing an estimation. So what you do is you estimate in January and then you file, I mean, this is for the year, then, and then, then, then you file in June, and then at the end of the year and the following year is now you make your estimations now become a reality because now they can see your actual books. 
So when we estimated, we're extremely, extremely, what's the word, ambitious. You want to, you know, we're going to estimate, we're going to make millions. We're going to make this amount of money. So you estimated really, really high without any business coming in. Now, the problem that we make is in Tanzania, for a corporation, you get charged 30% of your total profits, you know, not revenue, profits. You know, after everything has been paid off, they take 30% off, and that's what you have to pay as corporate tax. Now, I didn't understand this. I put 30% of my revenue, not my profits. And then I said, you know what? I'll deal with this later. <laughs> I'm going to brush it. I made money. It's my first year. I'll just, you know, this is not a big deal. Just go talk to somebody. It was a mistake. You change it in the system. I know the person. I've been talking to them. Guess what happened? Two years later, I'm trying to file again. I have penalties for filing wrong. Forget filing wrong, for not paying. Every month, I did not pay my corporate tax. I get penalized. Yes, a percentage, which is um, 225000 in Tanzania. It's about 100 and something dollars a month. And I also have to pay penalties on incurring of what I was supposed to pay the revenue authority. And I cannot get my tax clearance. And I did not submit my audited accounts all in one year. So it took a lot of money. You had to pay a chunk, and I mean thousands of dollars, to clear this because you have to comply. So a mistake I made in the beginning, and then I thought, you know what, I got someone to advise me moving forward. But in the beginning, when I was so fresh off my previous business, I didn't think properly. So that cost me thousands of dollars. But again, a mistake you make can cost you in the future. And thank God we had some money generated in the company. But you have to just file nil, nil, nil. Even if you're not filing anything, you have to file something to comply. If you're not making any money, don't be ashamed to say, I'm not making any money. People feel like they're ashamed to say, I don't have any money. Or they'll think that I'm lying. But you, if you don't have money, you don't have the money. But what I'm also hearing you say is, yes, you might have a lawyer, you might have an auditor, you might have all these people, but make sure you actually understand what is needed of your company because it's not necessarily on them to chase after you to say, do this. Like, you need to know. The funny thing is that this these are the kind of clients we like. Okay. <laughs> and I'm speaking as a lawyer. Because okay. she's, she's been burnt, right? Yeah. Tanya will never want to feel like that again. Mm-hmm. So we'll never lose. Unless we mess up, we'll never lose Tanya as a client, mm-hmm. you see? So it's actually sometimes it's, unfortunately, it's, and this is a human thing. It's not even a business person thing. It's just human beings. Like you have to, you can be told and there'll be people listening who will just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they'll do it. And they'll be like, what was the name of those people? Just give us their contact until you get burnt. Like yeah. the reality of the thing yeah. is not that clear. Get burnt, but yeah. try not to get burnt too much. In fact, try not to get burnt at all if the information is out there. You know, when, when we started, well, okay, I, my company is now eight, eight, and eight years and, and three months. So when I started, it wasn't like even what's available on the internet was not as, as broad and as, as wide. So these were like coffee conversations. Like I've gotten your number from the directory. You remember that thing? Like it says yellow pages. <laughs> yeah, you're like, it was a yellow page thing, you know. No longer LinkedIn messages. Yeah, 
Yes. It wasn't like, oh, I've seen your profile on FB. You look kind of cute. Come, let's have coffee. No, it was like proper. So now there's so much more information out there. Granted, not all of it is good or not all of it is comprehensive enough. But I think to Tanya's point about wanting to go through the experience yourself because you've had your fingers burnt by someone else before. Kenya has started now making it a lot easier for people. You can go onto your e-citizen account and you can set up a company go to the registry, pay for yourself. But here's the thing. The person at the registry is not a lawyer. The person at the registry is a government worker or a clerk who's just been told, hit your target for today. Like, that's it. So get the information, but still get the expert to guide you through the process just to avoid any sort of, you know, and at least you have enough knowledge now to not be played, you know, or taken for a ride by that expert as well. One thing that I realized is that even like even now as we're still growing is when you present a problem to a lawyer or an accountant or a tax consultant, what you tend to find is people say, mm, woman, problem, I'm going to stick it in now. My charges are this amount of money and I'll fix your problem. But they know that you're vulnerable, like you're vulnerable. So they'll come in and create more problems for you to fix or they'll make a problem that's not that bad. Instead of giving you um, realistic solutions, they just start pounding on, you know what, you might get A, B, C, D, E, F, G happen to you, you might have the government officials coming into your office to raid you, you know, you have not been complying, and you're thinking, wait, I, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, I, I see a big companies saying they owe 20 billion shillings, and what is, what's this? I owe a couple thousand dollars, how do they know? You need to comply at all times, they know who you are, they'll come and get you, your clients will find out, so then they, they create the sense of panic. And then when you're panicked, you just end up doing anything they say. Then you come and find out that, you know what, they didn't really help you. So even now, as I'm looking for people to work with, I'm very um, wary of telling somebody if I have a problem, I don't put it out in the beginning. I need to first understand what you do. I'll give you a few scenarios. And then if I like you, here's an NDA, first of all. And then here's our agreement of what we could actually be discussing. Because it's becoming so informal in Tanzania that the wrong people are advising you and just want to make money off you. You become a cash cow. Problem equals cash cow. So again, I guess it's, you know, you were talking about she's the perfect client, you know, and you're talking about, and then, and then uh, Tanya, you're talking about trying to figure out the right person to hire. What advice do you guys have? Because um, some people might assume, hey, I have a lawyer, done, check, expert, um, I will follow anything he says. Um, what are advice? What advice do you have in picking the right person for you, your company, um, that you can grow with um, in the same way you were able to grow with your auditor? I think for me, one of the things I say because I would ask the same of of um, of me in terms of my clients. Um, so I, I again, I want somebody who appreciates the the value that we can add. Um, and and vice versa. So, key for me is is um, qualification. Why? Because right now we're speaking about setting up companies. Okay, so somebody who at least is an expert in company law or tax law um, would be high on our list for for those kind of uh, scenarios. In my field, my uh, area of expertise is intellectual property, so trademarks and copyright and patents. So if you're looking for me, you need to know that about me. And Tanya, do you have on your end, do you, what do you have to add to that? 
I mean, I completely agree from from a client perspective. Um, you know, it's going to be hard to find the right fit in the beginning because, again, do you sound extremely professional and you know what you're talking about? But what if I cannot get access to somebody like June or who do I know who's like June? I think from the lawyer point of view, I also suggest uh, a, like a trial period. Uh, whereby uh, it's been good now trying to learn. Either you say, listen, we'll, we'll do these five things in a matter of you know, three months, and then let's see how well we work together. Let's give you some time to understand my business. Obviously, it's paid. So you say after three months' time, I don't think we are on the right page or you know, you're not fitting what I need. Then you end and you move on, as opposed to just going into it and then being stuck because you have no idea how to remove somebody from the relationship. Okay, great. So June, you've worked with a lot of different clients. Mm-hmm. Um, again, our audience are women, young women in East Africa. So I really, this is a very specific question. Um, but what are some common mistakes you see women make when opening their businesses? Not to stereotype them or anything, but I want to make sure that when we start, we do it right. Well, I mean, just sort of thinking off the top of my head through some of my female um, sort of clients and what they have done. I think the first is um, is a tendency to, and I, I always say this is a sort of like a double-edged sword because the fact that we are said to be more, it's a bad word, but it's emotional, okay? So we we react more through our emotions than through sort of cold, hard business decisions. And also that is, is, a, is, a, is reflected in the kind of business or services that we offer. So, for example, a lot of my female clients are either in fashion business or in... Um, or in uh, film production, but like do- nice, you know, documentaries. They're not doing like blockbusters, you know. You find that they're, it's almost like a, I'm not so sure. There's, it's more tentative, I think is the word I would use. And as a result of that, um, they portray themselves that way. And so this is not really a, a legal mistake by any means or, or legal sort of mishap. It's more how you perceive yourself. And so what ends up happening is they present themselves in a way that, and I always say people treat you the way you allow them to treat you. So right off the bat, if you're sort of like, look, I just started, I'm trying to, like, why is that the way you're presenting? What's, how is that your pitch? No, you you started in your mind a, a million years ago. You know what I mean? So you have to um, convince your client that you have this sort of confidence um, and that you're going, this project is running whether they are on board or not kind of thing. And I feel like men are much better at, at sort of presenting that um, almost sort of like with, with more uh, conviction. So what do I see um, as some of the things they do? They quote really low when they are giving their rate cards. If I compare like what one production company was quoting versus this new client of mine, I find that their, their rates are a little lower. I find that they hesitate to ask for documents. Like, how are you coming back to me six months later saying, now we need the call? I'm like, first of all, my rate is going to be higher because I feel I must punish you for that bad behavior. (laughs) I mean, but so this is like real life. I've seen this happening and it's usually more prevalent with um, the women. So if you are unsure about the quality of the service that you're offering, that's a different discussion altogether. I would even question whether you should be in business in the first place. This has nothing to do with whether you're a woman or not. Just is this the kind of service you want to offer that has your name attached to it? If you're not sure, take a break, 
you know, <laughs> take a year off, go and work for somebody else and build build up on your on the quality of your service. So the rates are a little bit lower. They're more tentative in the way they present themselves. And the things that our quote-unquote male counterparts are doing with their eyes closed, we sort of take a longer time to get round to that. Why? Um, because it's, it's, again, societal perception. Do you want to be seen as this aggressive businesswoman? The third thing I would say um, that I have observed is... Um, is uh, a a first emotional reaction. So one of my clients recently had some of their work infringed on and it was, the first call was just like 30 minutes of, I can't believe. And I'm just like, wow, okay. So what do you want to do? I don't know. I just needed to tell someone. I'm like, are we not writing a demand letter like today, like this midnight, they will receive it. And I let me think about it. You know, I know one of the people who work there. Maybe I can call them and have coffee. And I'm like, no, actually, that's my job. Like, that's my, that's what you're instructing me to do. Let them feel the force of a legal letter saying, I am aware that you took this without permission. And that decision time, like the turnaround time to actually make the decision to fight takes way too long compared to like a a male client who'd be like, we are suing them tomorrow. Then I'm the one who has to say, actually, we can't sue them yet. We have to try an alternative dispute resolution. It's one of our requirements now in Kenya. You don't just run to court. You have to demonstrate that you've exhausted all alternative dispute resolution mechanisms first Mm -hmm. that they have failed and that you have now no alternative to end up in court. So those are the three things I think I've seen repeatedly, repeatedly and mostly with women. And Tanya, can you speak on that? Because when you were starting off, did you feel like you were more tentative and that now you have your sort of your business stance and face on? Or have you always felt very comfortable just being the businesswoman who who asks for what she wants and, and you know, not, is not making the mistakes or is there some of the things that uh, that June had pointed out? Um, I think what June said is very important. And I think I've always been a very straightforward individual. And when I began the business, I think I was way more straightforward than I am now, because now I'm more into building relationships and trying to figure out, is this going to work for both me and you? But it's just generally women do not need to be so apologetic about things they want to do and how they do it. And I think it really makes an impact when trying to work with, you know, lawyers or people who are going to help you build your business. You need to set a standard of how you want that relationship to be built, especially if you're going to work with men. Especially if it's someone you've hired. I have a good example. I threw, I was, I, I was beginning a project and, and then before we finished it, I had to bring in a, a contract of the service agreement of what I wanted. The guy got extremely emotional and telling me, how dare you throw this contract at me? You know that we're friends. We know each other. You know, we have a very good common friend. You know, like I won't do your work. You think I'll run away? And I said, no, 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 you're not going to run away. This is how I work, guys. I mean, I know we know each other. But the fact that I'm throwing a contract at you and I'm, and I'm negotiating my terms is going to make you get angry at working with me. Why? You know what I mean? So why do you... Because I know if a man did that to you, you'd, you'd completely... Good businessman, you know, boss. I get you, boss. No problem, boss. If a woman, how oh, you don't think you don't think I want to do your work? Why are you throwing legal terms at me? It's the reason why I'm here. That is why I'm throwing legal terms at you. So you can come down the line and something happens, and then we up in the air. You want your money. I want my contract signed. Sign the contract. 
or negotiate and you will not get paid. I have no idea how that's very hard to understand. But then again, we're women. We're not supposed to be so upfront and so unapologetic. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being upfront and unapologetic because I know this was such a necessary conversation for me to hear. And I'm sure a lot of people have taken a lot away from it. Thank you so much for this great conversation. And here are my takeaways. One, the cost of fixing a mistake is too expensive. So it's time to get the business side of things done right, ladies. And number two, be willing to drop that extra money to get a professional. I know it's hard. I'm struggling with that this week alone. But like you've heard these ladies say, it's worth it in the end. And lastly, don't get fooled. Audit the people you have auditing your books. Don't just take anyone at face value, even your family or friends when they're helping you out. Thank you to Tanya Mulamula, CEO and founder of the Studio Red Communications in Tanzania, for sharing both your wisdom and your mistakes. Thank you very much for having me. You can check out her amazing services in Tanzania and now Rwanda by going to www.studiored.co.tz. And June Gashui, attorney and CEO of JGIP Consultants in Kenya, as well as being an accomplished singer and comedian. Can't you hear it in her voice? You can learn more about her expertise in intellectual property at jgipconsultants.co.ke. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. I Have No Idea What I'm Doing is a Kali Media production. I'm your executive producer and host, Paula Rogo. Our producer is Halima Gikandi. Our production assistant is Mame Frimpong. The music for this show was created by Ejaya Joshua, a.k.a. Jopi the Chef. And we recorded this episode at the Nun on Record Studio and Mojo Productions in Nairobi. You can find the I Have No Idea What I'm Doing podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. It will also be available on our Kali Media YouTube channel. You can find out more information about this episode at www.kali.media. If you like it, tell a friend. I'm your host, Paula Rogo. Until next time.